Good morning, Veritas. Uh, we're glad that you've joined us this morning. We're excited to uh, worship and open God's Word um, with you. Um, this morning is one of those sermons uh, that was going to be kind of long, so I had to shorten it, and so I just made the, sm- the font really small in my notes, so uh, we should be okay. Um, we've got a lot to get through. I want to start with a question. Uh, this morning, we're in this series called Heroes. Just a, a couple more weeks on this uh, before we jump into 2 Timothy And uh, we are in the life of Samson this morning. I want to start with a question. Who's your favorite anti-hero? Who's your favorite anti-hero? Now, when you think anti-hero, you might be thinking the opposite of the hero, which is the villain. That's not what an anti-hero is. An anti-hero is a main character of a story with imperfections and dark traits that make them fall short of the true hero. So we might think of, I mean, Wolverine, Severus Snape, or... Uh, In the comedy world, George Costanza from Seinfeld, kind of an anti-hero, or uh, Dwight Schrute uh, is one of the favorite socially awkward megalomaniac kind of anti-heroes. What would the story of The Office be without him? We kind of cheer for them, but we would never trust them to be our best friend, right? We're like, yeah, they're fun to watch, they're fun to read about, but we don't want one of them in our lives, really. Um, And this week, we are studying the life of Samson. And Samson is one of the, just kind of the epitome of an anti-hero in the Bible. And so the way I'm going to teach through the life of Samson from Judges chapter 13 through 16, a lot of text here, is we're going to go through his life like we're reading a biography. And the book title is called Samson, the Anti-Hero. As we go through this book called Samson the Antihero, we have six chapters that we're going to go through. And chapter number one is entitled, Trapped in the Cycle of Darkness. Trapped in the Cycle of Darkness. Now, kids, we've got some kids in the crowd. You guys like, like have a lot of you, uh, this is one of my favorite stories because I remember Samson with the pillars. Remember, he's, he's up against the pillars in the last story. We're going to get to this at the end where he, he demolishes this temple. It's amazing, this man of great strength. And uh, we're going to jump into his life. And uh, your parents might be wondering throughout the sermon why kids are in the service. But um, anyway, we'll, we'll see how this goes, parents. Uh, there's some context here before we jump into Samson's life. We are in the book of Judges. Now, Judges, here's what that means to those of you who might be new in the Bible, is that we have just uh, uh, been through a couple of the most famous people in the Old Testament, some of the greatest leaders, Moses, uh, who God gave him the Ten Commandments. Remember Moses, that great leader who delivered God's people from slavery. And then after Moses came Joshua. Joshua was was an incredible leader who led God's people into the promised land. And through Joshua's life, uh, Israel got the land, the land that they're still fighting over today, right? Joshua was the one that brought them in to take the land. So these incredible leaders. But after Joshua comes this period that we call the judges. And it sets up the context in the first couple verses in chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. It says, the Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Okay, that's the context. The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines 40 years. 
there was a certain man from Zorah, from the family of Dan, whose name was Manoah. His wife was unable to conceive and had no children. It's describing a time of darkness, sin, slavery, infertility, struggle. Kind of reminds us of a time like today, right? Well, in comes this, this man, Samson. But the thing about the context of Judges, and last week we studied Gideon. Gideon lived during this time. It's the cycle. Here's this picture. This is the, the cycle of darkness, is that God's people sin, which throws them into slavery and bondage, which sin always does. It leads them to desperation, right? They say, you don't hit bottom, you hit God, right? Some of you have hit God. That's why a lot of us are Christians, right? That's when you become a Christian. You're like, I don't, I, my sin leads me to slavery. I hit, I hit God. I hit desperation. God delivers us. And then what happens? We, we have freedom. We have joy. And we even get into prosperity. And then what happens? In our prosperity, we get comfortable and we forget God. So we do it all over again. We sin, which leads us into slavery, right? That's what God's people are going through. And when you read the book of Judges, what these first couple verses that intro Samson's life is saying, here we are once again in the cycle of sin. So we kind of know where this is going to go, right? All right. So chapter one is trapped in the cycle of darkness, but chapter two is entitled, A Man of Destiny. Look at verses three through five. Chapter two is a man of destiny. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, is it true that you are unable to conceive and have no children? But you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, please be careful not to drink wine or beer or to eat anything unclean, for indeed, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth, and he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. So, amazing story. It's almost like the birth of Christ, right? It's like this, this woman who's, who's struggling with infertility, and, and this angel shows up, angel of the Lord shows up. And says, you need to uh, separate, separate him with this thing they call a Nazarite vow. Nazarite is like the word that, that means like separation, set apart. In Numbers 6, 8, we see this, this vow uh, given for someone that is going to be set apart and be holy to the Lord. Okay? Holy to the Lord. So men or women could take this vow in the Old Testament. Uh, John the Baptist was a Nazarite. Someone who's set apart for the purpose of living like a, almost a high priestly kind of life. This person who took this vow would have to avoid touching a dead body, avoid alcohol, avoid getting a haircut or shaving. And so Manoah, the, the father, says, hey, we need to find out from this angel like how we're supposed to raise this, this boy. If this boy is going to be so special... And so anointed by God, we're going to need help raising him. So the angel comes down, goes up in a flame of sacrifice. We're going to skip to the end of the chapter in verse 24. Look at verse 24 and 25. So the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The boy grew and the Lord blessed him. Then the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtoel. 
You guys, God's blessing is all over this, this boy, Samson. And it says the spirit of the Lord begins to stir him. This guy has destiny written all over him. Now the stage is set for a hero, 40 years of nothing but darkness, and into that darkness, God shows up. Don't you just long for God to do that today? I was talking to an older gentleman out there, Phil, we just met this morning, visiting from Colorado, and we were talking about this, and he's just saying, this is a dark time. And it's so encouraging to come and see a church filled up with young people. And I just want to say, I just long, that's what our heart is. That's what our passion is as a church. That into this darkness, we will see young men and women that stand up and take a vow for Jesus. Like, I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Chapter 3 of Samson's life, it takes a turn. And this chapter is entitled, Three Ways to Ruin Your Life. Fourteen one, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. He went back and told his father and mother, I have seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me. But his father and mother said to him, can't you find a young woman among your relatives or among any of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistine for a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Philistines, the enemies of God, the ones that God was going to bring judgment on, Samson is attracted to. This might be the equivalent, I want to be careful with this, but this might be the equivalent of somebody just saying, you know, I don't care that this person is not a Christian, or they say they're a Christian, but their life doesn't show it, like, I'm going to pursue them anyway. Uh, I'm going to marry them. I'm attracted to them. I want this person. And so you compromise in the man or woman that, that you choose to marry and his parents are begging with him. No, 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 this is a bad idea, Samson. Please listen to us. This is not a good idea. And Samson begins to boss them around, like, no, you get her for me now. I don't know if this whole man of destiny thing caused his parents to kind of coddle him. And, oh, he's a special boy, and so they kind of orient their lives around him? I don't know, maybe, but in this, it looks like Samson is kind of demanding this and not, not listening to his parents and for sure not listening to his parents, but even bossing them around. I think the number one way to ruin your life, we see this, this first step toward rebellion and just devastating, ruining his life is this. Number one way to ruin your life, don't listen to your parents. Don't listen to your parents. If you're wanting to say, hey, Mark, I just, I'm really wanting to destroy my life. 
This might be one of the first things I would tell you. Well, number one thing you want to do is just disregard whatever your parents are telling you, which is what Samson does. Verse 7, he went and spoke to the woman because, listen, she seemed right to him. Because she seemed right to Samson. We see here in this verse, verse 7, the reason that God gives children and teenagers parents. This is the reason because there are a lot of, in our youthfulness, there are a lot of things that seem right to us. Proverbs 14, 12 says there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. This seemed like a great idea, this Philistine woman. Like, I'm just imagining, this is like him, his conversation with his parents. Mom and dad, she's hot. She must love God, right? She must be a Christian. She's beautiful. I want her. Or he's handsome, or he's the man of my dreams. Like, of course, he has to be a follower of Jesus. Here's one thing your parents know. They know that beauty is fleeting and charm is deceptive. Choose character, right? He's, his parents are, are trying to urge Samson, no, no, no. This is not the person you want to be with. In our youth, we say, you know, if it feels good, do it. And in our old age, we're like, yeah, let me show you the scars from what doing what feels good, right? Let me show you the scars from doing what seemed right when I was a young person. A lot of us have done really stupid things. We can think of a lot of ways that we almost killed ourselves in our youth, right? Some of us are still dealing with nagging injuries because of things that we did as young people, right? People ask me all the time, Mark, do you still skate? Do you still ride skateboards? And I'm like, yeah, until I almost broke both my wrists a few years ago, right? I don't skate as much, or I do within my own limits, right? We, we get older, we get wiser, and that's why uh, children, that's why God has given you, your parents, listen to them. Now, look at verse four. Here's a bit of encouragement for all of us. Now, his father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord, who wanted the Philistines to provide an opportunity for a confrontation. At that time, the Philistines were ruling Israel. That's a very confusing verse if you don't know how to read the Bible. Okay, here's a tip. Let me give you a little uh, Bible life hack thing. When you're reading through a narrative like this, like it's a story, it's, we say that it's descriptive, not prescriptive. It's describing what happened. It's not telling you how it should have happened, right? It's saying, hey, Samson made a stupid decision, right? He goes against his parents' advice. But guess what? As with everything, God was in control. God used this terrible decision for something good, because God had something he wanted to do, which was bring judgment on the Philistines. And so even in the midst of our failures, 
God can use it. Some of you, even as I talk about this, um, about listening to your parents and about ruining your life, some of you are hearing this lie come into your head. Yeah, Mark, uh, that's right. I did that and I think it's too late. Like our kids are already out of the house. And yeah, we kind of didn't do it just right. Like maybe there's a lot of regrets that you are dealing with. Maybe you're on the other side of that. Maybe you're the child that didn't listen to your parents. And you're like, oh yeah, scars. Let me show you the scars from my life. Let me show you the broken relationships that I have because I didn't listen. And what I want to remind you is that God wants us to know that even in the midst of our worst failures, God, only God could do this. He can turn it and he can use it for his glory. This is great news for those of us who feel like anti-heroes. <laughs> so I'm going to fast forward some weird, I'm just going to say it, some weird random events unfold in chapter 14. He does go to get married and on his way to his wedding, he tears apart a lion, a lion with his bare hands. At his wedding feast that he gives, he gives a riddle. And these Philistines can't get it, so they're so frustrated. They threaten Samson's wife. She manipulates Samson, and he ends up giving her the answer to the riddle that she gives to the Philistines. And that sets up verse 19. So Samson is not happy. They answered the riddle that he gave. I think the moral of the story is, if you're getting married, don't give a riddle. Okay, I don't know. But in verse 19, it says, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. He stripped them and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. In a rage, Samson returned to his father's house and his wife was given to one of the men who had accompanied him. Oh my word, Samson goes on this killing rage the father of the bride, as you can imagine, is like, whoa, this was a bad idea to give my daughter to him. She take, he takes the bride, his, his daughter, and gives it to one of the Philistine men. So in chapter 15, verse 3, Samson's like, I'm going back to get my wife. Look at what happens in 15.3. Samson said to them, this time I will be blameless when I harm the Philistines. So he gets 300 foxes, somehow ties them together, lights these torches on fire. I, I, some of you guys, if you read this stuff, you're like, I can believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But this, this is just straight up weird. I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if he captured foxes and put them in pens and fed them. And I know... Uh, some of you in this church uh, that are hunters and stuff, like I, I can, after I get to know you a little bit, I'm like, oh, I think I can believe this. Like some of you guys are like, no, I think I can do that. Uh, 
So whatever, Samson the hunter, and he ends up burning their grain, vineyards, olive groves. How did the Philistines respond to this? Well, verse six, so the Philistines went to her and her father and burned them to death. Oh yeah, remember when I was talking about this time of darkness? Yeah, this is bad. Verse seven, Samson told them, because you did this, I swear that I won't rest until I have taken vengeance on you. He tore them limb from limb and then went down and stayed in the cave at the rock of Edom. He goes on to kill 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey. How is he able to create such destruction? Because God's spirit is on him. Is that the most just messed up thing you've heard? Like he's taking God's power and he's using it to spiral down into this cycle of just retaliation and revenge. And he's leaving a path of destruction and devastation behind him. The number two way to ruin your life, give full vent to your anger and rage. Do you know what that phrase, give full vent to something means? What's a vent? A vent is a hole that you you open up to let air in. And fire needs oxygen. It needs air to burn, right? And so... The question I have for you is, what are you angry about this morning? I want you to think of something that makes you angry. What makes you angry? If you really want to ruin your life, here's what you would do. You would open the vent, like, on that anger. Like, open it all the way. Just open it all the way. And just let... Just let oxygen fuel your fire of rage and anger. Give full vent to your anger. That would be a great way to leave a path of destruction behind you. I want to speak specifically to the men in this room. And I want to say that If you ever use your physical strength to hurt somebody in anger, you will absolutely destroy what God has called you to use your strength to protect and build up. If you are in a relationship with somebody who has done that to you, you need to talk to somebody because that's not okay. And what we see in this story of Samson is straight up, I mean, it's scary. He even has this interaction with the Israelites and they're afraid of him. They're like, I don't know, Samson. And God is putting this forward as a warning to us 
chapter 16, the last chapter of Samson's life. Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and went to bed with her. When the Gazites heard that Samson was there, they surrounded the place and waited in ambush for him. Here's Samson again in trouble because of his moral compromise. He gets his prostitute and he's surrounded. Verse four, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah. We have pop songs about Delilah. She's a common uh, character even in pop culture. Delilah, who lived in the Sorek Valley. The Philistine leaders went to her and said, persuade him to tell you where his great strength comes from so we can overpower him, tie him up, and make him helpless. Each of us will then give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Let me stop here and just say, here we are in chapter three of Samson's life with the third way to ruin your life. Let your lust run wild. Let your lust run wild. We saw it in the opening chapter of Samson's life, right? This Philistine woman, she's beautiful. Get her for me. Chapter 16, he's with this prostitute and then he's ambushed. And now here we are with Delilah. This thread that goes through Samson's whole life, your sexual sin will catch up to you as it does with Samson. Look at what happens in verse 16. 16 through 20. Because she nagged him day after day and pleaded with him until she wore him out, he told her the whole truth and said to her, my hair has never been cut because I am a Nazarite to God from birth. If I am shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah realized that he had told her the whole truth, she sent this message to the Philistine leaders. Come one more time for he has told me the whole truth. The Philistine leaders came to her and brought the silver with them. Then she let him fall asleep on her lap and called a man to shave off the seven braids on his head. In this way, she made him helpless and his strength left him. Then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he awoke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson finally gives himself over fully to this life of sin by disregarding this original vow that he had made that his parents had made of Samson. Think about Samson, his whole life, his parents spoke into him, you are a Nazarite, you are separated to be used for God and God alone. And in this moment, finally, Samson just pushes it all away and says, I want Delilah more than I want God. Who cares about the Nazarite vow? All I want 
is this person right now? So he tells her the secret. Church, one of the things I want to say, just to pause here and to say, you know, we hear of scandals that come into the church. Scandals of abuse of power, greed, sexual misconduct, sexual immorality. And what I want to pause here and just say, this kind of stuff doesn't happen overnight. It's not like somebody just wakes up and decides to start embezzling money, right? It's not just like somebody randomly ends up in a hotel and ends up with this person who's not their wife. It's not that somebody just all of a sudden one day decides to use their power to abuse people and bully people. That, that doesn't happen overnight. It's a series of small decisions that no one sees. And we see here that, that Samson for his whole life has kind of been getting away with it, hasn't he? He's kind of been, yeah, but I'm anointed. I've got God's spirit on me. I'm blessed. And he starts thinking like he's above the law. He can just make these decisions and still have his strength because God, God's spirit is on him. But this says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. I just want to say right here, church, beware. Your sin will find you, will catch up to you. The consequences of your sin, those little seeds of compromise that you are planting all over the field of your life will grow up. That's what we see in the life of Samson. And so chapter four, the title of chapter four is Have It Your Way. Have it your way. The Philistines capture him. They gouge out his eyes. They make him a slave. And this is, remember the cycle of judges. This is a theme. Chapter 10, verse 13 He says, but you have abandoned me and worshiped other gods. Therefore, I will not deliver you again. Verse 14, go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them deliver you whenever you are oppressed. This is earlier in the book of Judges, and it's explaining and it's giving context to what we are reading in the life of Samson. What it's saying is, if you continue to sin At some point, God's just going to give you over to it. This is Romans 1. Remember, God gave them over to their sexual passions and desires. He gave them over to their life of sin. And you know, one of the worst possible things you can have God say to you is, have it your way, right? I think that's like a Burger King slogan or something, like, Come to Burger King, you can have it your way. Like, that's fine when it's hamburgers and you can choose your pickles and onions and all that stuff. But when it's God, 
And he's saying to you, fine, have it your way. I mean, isn't that what hell is? It's basically God just giving people over to what they want, which is not him. It's like, I don't want you in my life. I don't need you telling me what I can and can't do. Samson did it his way. And this is where it leaves him, blind in bondage. So this last section, I'm going to read. This is kind of the last chunk of scripture, and uh, it's not going to be on the screens. And I just want you to listen to what happens. See, Samson uh, was brought down to this Philistine pagan party. They were having a party, offering sacrifices to their god, Dagon. And they were rejoicing that here's this Israelite that has been handed over to us. They're partying. And verse 25 says, when they were in good spirits, they said, bring Samson here to entertain us. So they brought Samson from prison and he entertained them. They had him stand between the pillars. Samson said to the young man who was leading him by the hand, lead me where I can feel the pillars supporting the temple so I can lean against them. The temple was full of men and women. All the leaders of the Philistines were there and about 3,000 Men and women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. He called out to the Lord, Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me, God, just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple, leaned against them, one on his right hand and the other on his left. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it and those he killed at his death were more than those he had killed in his life. Then his brothers and all his father's family came down, carried him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of his father Manoah. So he judged Israel 20 years. Chapter five is entitled, Remember Me. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Lord God, please remember me. Does that sound familiar? Remember the thief on the cross who cried out, Jesus, remember me. This is a prayer of repentance. This is a last cry of faith in Samson's last hour. Just like the thief on the cross who's dying next to Jesus says, remember me. And Hebrews 11.32 lists Samson as one of the great people of faith in the Old Testament. And I just want to ask the question, does this bother you like it bothers me? I have a really hard time with the fact that Samson is mentioned as a great man of faith. Does that, does that trouble you? Like after I just talked about this horrible person? Yeah, you know what's amazing? God's assessment of Samson is better than mine. 
Like I look at Samson as a cautionary tale, as a total failure, and yet he's a man of faith in the Bible. I don't understand that. How could Samson be declared righteous as a person? Verse, or 1 Corinthians 1.23, we were talking about this, and, and I said, this is a total scandal. And you know, Coach Dermody, he's taking Greek, and I love it. He's, he's like, oh, that's the Greek word scandalon. And I was like, scandalon? He's like, yeah. And he took me to 1 Corinthians 1. And this word scandal is used in 1 Corinthians, the book we just got done studying through. And it says in 1 Corinthians 1 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews. That word stumbling block is the word scandal. To the Jewish people, it's a scandal. Christ crucified is a scandal. Why? Why is it a scandal? It seems morally wrong of God to let somebody like Samson into heaven just because he had faith. That's what grace is. Grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. God gives you a welcome home party when you just totally ruined your life and the inheritance. And you come back thinking you're going to be maybe a slave in the household, and he throws a party, the prodigal son story. That's what God is like. And to the Jews, that's a scandal. And I'm saying to you, that's where we end with chapter six, the scandal of grace. You're right. Grace is a scandal. Why should God let me into heaven? He shouldn't. That's grace. I'm angry that God would let Samson in, but I'm glad that he would let me in. That's a scandal. It's the scandal of grace. The only possible way that this deeply flawed man whose sin had left devastating consequences could be declared righteous would have been through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is the same way that I could become righteous and you could become righteous through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When we say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that's grace. And that's why Samson could be declared a man of faith. I was, I had this guy from Minnesota, um, this pastor named Dave, his name is Dave Johnson. He pastors this church called the Church of the Open Door up in the Twin Cities. I had him preach on a, a retreat when I was leading Salt Company in Ames. And we were hanging out and he was actually preaching on the life of Samson. And, and he was talking to me um, in the hotel room. We were just connecting. He said, Mark, this thing, Salt Company, it's amazing what God is doing. Like this ministry, revival, it's awesome. He goes, um, but I'm going to, like warn you right now, here's the thing that's going to take this down. I'm all ears. He said, like Samson, here's the danger, like Samson, you will start pointing to your success to prove 
that God's favor is on your life. And you're going to take on a, well, the show must go on mentality. There's always another service to do. There's always another big budget to make. There's always another church to plant. And God's going to give you success. And you're going to start pointing to the success as proof that God's favor is on your life. And he said, but if you're not careful, you will make little compromises. And you'll take on this, well, the show must go on. We don't really have time to stop and examine the foundation because, look, God's blessing is on us. And so here's the moral of the story that I've, the epilogue, the epilogue is kind of my reflections on Samson is, and the moral of the story is, build down before you build up. Build down before you build up. In San Francisco, uh, they built this high rise of condos, beautiful high rise. Uh, All these, uh, like Joe Montana has a place in this, like rich and famous people have Uh, have their condos here in this high-rise. There's a problem. This building is tilting because the foundation is not strong enough. The foundation was not strong enough to hold the weight of the magnificent high-rise. And what I want to say is, is the strength of your character strong enough to hold the weight of success that God gives you? You know, the most important parts about you are not the things that you share with everyone on social media. It's the things you do in private that no one will ever see. Your personal life, your thoughts, what you do with your money, what you say in secret, your prayer life, your times with the Lord. It's not your public confessions, public statements, Even for me, it's not, the most important thing about me is not what I say from the stage. It's who I am when I walk off the stage. And I want to say to us, Veritas, we need to build down before we build up. We need to examine our hearts, find those areas of compromise in our lives, and deal radically with our sin. Let's pray together I'm going to just invite the worship team to come out and close us in a time of worship. And this line, my dad shared this line from this hymn, When I Survey It. It's meant a lot to me this past week. It says, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. Just those areas of pride, those areas of rich gain in your life. Success. Those places where you could tend to get proud. Like Samson, he's got this great strength. Just give you a moment to just kind of reflect here um, as we close and just examine your heart. I just invite you to come with me to the cross. Come with me to the cross. Just come confessing. Come pouring contempt, pouring hatred on your sin, on your pride, on your anger, on your lust, on your greed, on your desire for approval. Come with me to the cross 
let Jesus minister to us.